Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find a church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. But um, we're talking about God's plan, and so that's like a really big, that's a really bold thing for me to say, and, and, and I really believe what I'm going to share today that is God's plan for you. So if you're here today, um, this is God's plan for you, whether this is your first time in Lakeside Church, you're visiting, you're checking us out, or you've been coming since we started last year, but I believe this is God's plan for you and God's plan for everyone else. So for me to say that, like either I'm really right or I'm really wrong, and I want you to search the scriptures, and I want you to decide if it's true, because really the scriptures are what's always true. Now, God's plan is not that song that Drake put out. Now, if you don't know who Drake is, you're probably older than me, and that's okay, but Drake is a musician. He's the guy who puts out a lot of famous music. If you've seen the videos where the guys, um, he handed out a bunch of cash to people. He said, here, this is God's plan, and he just handed out money. Well, I wish he would have done that for me. Or if you've seen the videos where people get out their car and they dance, right? If you've seen those on Facebook and they get hit by the cars, it's a great video. Go look for those. Kiki Challenge, it's that guy. That guy's Drake. He put a thing called God's plan, but I don't think he had it right. God's plan is not just to give you a bunch of cash. That's not God's plan, although cash is nice. It's better to have some cash than no cash, amen? But that is not God's plan. We're going to go and we're going to talk about um, a story, and I'm going to give you a background before we get in the scripture. We know that Jesus came sent by God, the word became flesh. And he came here to redeem mankind, to demonstrate the Father to us. The word of God, um, the exact expressed image of God came in the flesh to save mankind. He said he came to seek and save that was lost. And he did that on the cross, like he did that on the cross, but it took a little while for him to get to the cross. In fact, they say he was about probably 33 years old before he did that. And during part of his time, he did a lot of teaching. And in order to do teaching, he would travel from city to city, and they didn't have cars. They didn't have AC. In fact, only one time we read about, as far as I remember, him riding a donkey. So most of the time, he did it on his two feet. He just walked around in the sun, and he went from city to city, village to village, and he shared God's word. And there comes one time where he goes to a place called Samaria. Now, I have to make this clear to you or you won't really get the story. The Israelites and the Samaritans did not get along. So picture the people group that you don't get along with the most. Picture the people that when you see them, you're like, ugh, them. Whoever that is for you. For each of us, it might be somebody different. But, you know, it's really good at general, we're really good at generalizing something sometimes. And so he, there was this big beef or this big argument between the Israelites and the Samaritans. They didn't get along. And yet Jesus walks right through their area. And he's walking for so long and he's doing so much teaching that not only does he walk through an area where people don't like him because he's a Jew, and where technically he probably shouldn't like them, he sits down and he stops at a well in the middle of the day. And it's hot. And as he stops at the well, you can see right here your first verse, and it's, um, it's on your paper. And it's in John chapter 4. And you can go back and read the whole, the whole story because I'm only bringing parts. It says, Jesus was worn out by the trip. If you've ever been worn out, I want you to know that Jesus knows what it feels like to be worn out. That Jesus knows that and he can help you. 
but Jesus was worn out. We don't like to think about Jesus like that. We want to see him walking on water, healing the sick. But Jesus was worn out. And he sat down by the well, and it was noon, so that means it was hot. And a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink of water? Because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. Now, a little bit about this is, is you, you know, if you're smart and you're in South Carolina, do you mow your grass at noon? No, you don't do that. Why? We all know it's really hot at noon. Most of us, when we mow our grass, we mow it in the cooler part of the day, right? We know it has to be mowed. Now, sometimes we might go out there, but that's never our first choice. And in the women in these communities, when they went to draw water from wells, they knew better than to go at noon. It wasn't like they normally woke up and said, let's go at the hottest part of the day and carry this giant vase over over here, this clay pot, fill it up with water and drag it back to my house in the middle of the day. They didn't do that. She did that. The reason is, is that that, that she didn't want to be around the other women. Now, there, there, nothing against women. I have nothing against women, but, but women can talk. At least my wife can. And she's not here today. She's feeling sick, and the baby, baby's feeling sick as well. But, but she had been ostracized by the other women. She had a history. She had a story. And so she would go out at the worst part of the time because she knew nobody else would be there. She probably didn't even want to put up with their voices, put up with their nagging. And she said, I'd rather walk out to the well at noon in the hottest part of the day than deal with that garbage. And Jesus is sitting there. Why was Jesus sitting there? Is because Jesus is always looking for the lost. And the first point I want to say is the first part about God's plan is that the lost would be found. Now, I want you to get an understanding of that word lost. That word lost does not mean sinner. Like, you might be a sinner. I'm a sinner. We might make mistakes. But, but when, God, when Jesus said, he said, I came to find that which was lost. When you lose something, it has value. It still has value. A $20 bill that you know where it is in your wallet is worth $20. But when you're looking for that same $20 bill and you don't know where it is, it's still worth 20 bucks. I told a story last week about my son Jason and how he thought it would be fun to go and hide in the trunk of a car. And if you don't know, I'll just give you a quick detail. He thought that was a good idea. He wanted to scare grandpa. He went into the trunk of a car. We couldn't find him. We searched the whole house. We went upstairs, downstairs, in the cabinets because they're good at hiding under the house. We didn't know where he was. When he was lost, it's not like he lost value. He didn't become less of my son. He was still my son. And some of you here today, you're lost. You're without without direction. You don't don't know where you are. Now, some of you will never know what it's like to drive without a GPS. But I remember what it was like to drive without a GPS. When I started driving, imagine this. You would get into a car, and you would just drive somewhere and kind of figure it out on your way. And you were like, oh, it's up there and over there. And you would go, and you would drive, and and you would get close to it. And if you're a man, you probably wouldn't ask for directions, and you'd cruise around, and you'd find the place. Now we have these things that we go with that we don't really know what it's like to be lost. 
Like, we don't have that feeling. But there were many times I would drive and try to find somewhere and be like, I don't know where I am. And I grew up in Miami. And there were some places you did not want to get lost in. And when I grew up in Miami, it was like when Miami was on the news for tourists getting killed. Like, if you ever remember those articles back when, like, the tourists drove into the wrong part of town and then they died. Like, you don't want to be in there. They were like, oh, you don't belong here. Give me your car, your money. And I would just drive around in some of these areas. And, and if you've ever had that feeling of being lost, well, the first time we came to South Carolina, um, it was before GPS, believe me or not. My parents, they, they lived in Windsor. If you don't know where that is, it's because it's in the middle of nowhere. And the directions that they gave me were on just a piece of paper. And as we drove through, we were, we were living in Miami, and we came up to visit them and following directions. And it said, turn here, turn there. And, and that's back when you didn't know how many miles away it was. You're just like, it says turn here. And you're looking at every road and hoping that you don't miss it. And I had to go to a road called White Pond. If you've ever known out there, there's a road called White Pond. And he said, make a ride on White Pond. Well, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I found myself on a dirt road called White Pond. And I was on the corner of White Pond and White Pond. And so I did have a cell phone, a flip phone, and I called them, and I was doing my best not to wake them up, and I called them, and he said, turn right on White Pond. And I looked, and I'm like, I'm on White Pond and White Pond. He said, we'll make a right. And I'm like, everywhere is a right. There's nowhere to go. Like, I don't know. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll find you. And, he, and my dad actually had to come at like 3 o'clock in the morning. We had a little baby at that time, and he drove out there, and he found us because we were lost. I was still his son. My grandchild was still his grandbaby. But he said, you don't know where you're going. I've given you the best directions I could. Let me come and get you. And God's plan is that the lost will be found. And if you are feeling lost, it doesn't mean that you're no, you don't have value. It just means you might be sitting on your own version of white pond and white pond saying, I don't know where to go. I don't know which way to go. And that's God's plan. The first thing he wants to do is he wants the lost found. He wants, you to, he wants to come and get you. He wants to draw near to you. And that's what he did with this woman at the well. Jesus took time out of his day to go to this woman and sit there, and he could start a conversation with her. We skip down a little bit more in the verse, and um, they have a conversation. Jesus asks them, I'll give you the backstory because I didn't put the whole thing on the paper. They have a conversation about getting water, and they're kind of going back and forth. Jesus and the woman are having some, like, banter. You know, she, she's a little bit spicy because she's lived a hard life. And so he asks her a question, and she kind of shoots back with something, and he shoots back with something because he's Jesus and he doesn't lose. You know, and they're going back and forth with this banter. And finally, Jesus says something, and he just throws the hammer down. He says, okay, go call your husband and come back here. The woman's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's nicely put. You, that, you said that. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. See, Jesus doesn't do, Jesus wasn't being mean. Jesus wasn't being hard. But he knew that for her to go to the future that she needed to go to, that she had to deal with her past. And she had to deal with her current reality. See, God wants the lost found 
But then he wants those who are found to be cared for. And you need to be cared for. She couldn't, she couldn't experience all that God had until she got some things right. When my son was, was trapped in the trunk, and it was in South Carolina, and it's over, you know, 90 degrees, so it was super hot inside that trunk. And I went and I got him out of that trunk. I had to care for him. I had to, I had to cool him off. I had to get the tears out of his eyes. I had to, I had to let him know it was okay. And, you know, sometimes care is hard and sometimes it's, it's not. I broke my finger. This one, I, I won't show it to you because it's the middle one and that would offend a lot of you. But right here, just picture, it's the middle one. And I broke my finger. And I was too cheap to go to the doctor because, you know, I'm cheap. And I told my brother-in-law, I said, hold on to the end of it really hard. Because it hurt. It hurt so bad. He's like, What? I don't want to do that. And I was like, just hold it. He said, are you sure? That was the same night I found out that liquor stores closed in South Carolina at 7 o'clock. <laughs> By the way, I'm not promoting alcohol, but I realized that there was no other medicine I could find. And so, so I said, all right, hold the tip of it. And he held onto my finger. And I, I knew he was too much of a chicken to do anything, so I just hold it tight, and I pulled back as hard as I could, and it popped, and it went straight. But you know, sometimes care hurts. Do you know God cares for you so much that there's some things that are broken in your life that God wants to make it straight? And it might hurt for a minute. It might hurt for a little bit, and it might pop and be a little like, Ah! But when he pops it back in place, it can begin to heal. And God wants you to, if you, if you know Christ, he wants you to be cared for. How we want to do that in church here is, is I can't care for all of you. It's not that I don't care about all of you. It's just that, you know, there's too many pink fingers for me to pull. You know, I just can't do that. We have small groups here in our church. Do you know that, you know, you got to trust somebody. I trusted my brother-in-law. I knew that, that he wouldn't do anything stupid. I knew that I could be vulnerable with him and be like, man, this hurts. Could you just hold on? This needs healing. You see, grace and forgiveness comes from Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But the scripture says that when you confess your faults one to another and pray for each other, you can be healed. And so we have small groups that are going to be starting around September 15th or 16th. And, and, and I, I challenge you to get into one of those. Because you know what? You can say that you're found, but if you're broken, you need to be whole. God doesn't want you broken. And sometimes to get whole might take a little bit of pain. It might take a little bit of honesty. You know what? We all have masks on in this room. I look around this room and you guys look beautiful. You look wonderful. You got it all together. You took the time to come to church on Sunday, so you must be the best Christians around, right? But if we took your masks off, or if I took my mask off, there's things that need to be cared for. There's things that I need to get better. There's people in my life that I, I still go to with my spiritual stuff, and I say, God, this is going to hurt, but pray for me. I'm weak in this area. I'm not strong in this area. But you know what? It's better now. 
and it's straight. God wants the lost found. He wants the found to be cared for. God wants you to be cared for. God wants you to be in a church family where you can be cared for. Well, after Jesus calls her out, I told you she's spicy. Immediately, she changes the conversation. I mean, she gets called out about having all these husbands and kind of being a loose woman. And so she's like, oh, yeah? Well, let's talk about something else because that's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about that. And so you read, if you read, keep going in chapter 4. It says, Jesus is talking and he says, um, she asked a question. And let me give you the background before this first. They were Samaritans. Remember I told you Samaritans didn't get along with Jewish people? And so the Samaritans had one place where they would worship God. And the Jewish people, they had another place where they would worship God. So instantly, when he starts getting into her stuff and talking about all those husbands, she turns the conversation or be like, well, should we worship here or should we worship there? I could tell you're a prophet. She turns the whole conversation to worship. Really, what she was asking is, how can I really relate to God? How, how can I relate to God? That's what worship is, is how can I relate to God? How can I experience God? My people, the Samaritans, tell me that I need to worship here. Your people, the Jews, say that they need to worship there. So how can I really get myself fixed and get back together if I don't even know how I can relate to God? And Jesus, he clears it up a little bit. He says, um, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being, God is sheer being itself spirit. And those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, their adoration. And if we keep going, the woman said, 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 I don't know about that. Are we, are we, are we off there? I, the woman said, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Jesus said, I am he. You don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to look any further. So this whole conversation about how do we worship God, what do we do? And that's the same thing you're asking. That's the same thing all of our asking is, is how do we get in right relationship with God? Do we go to this church or do we go to that church? Are we supposed to worship this way or are we supposed to worship that way? Is it okay to raise my hand? Should I not raise my hand? Do I have to dress all the way up or can we be relaxed? That pastor has a hole in his jeans. Is that okay? Does he not respect God? We're all asking all kinds of different questions about, about how we relate to God. And what it all comes down to is you don't really relate to God by any of that. You relate to God, to Jesus, because he says, I am he. You do not have to wait any longer. Your worship is to Jesus Christ. And what Jesus wants you to know is that he loves you just the way you are. Right now, everything that you came in with that was messed up and broken, he looks at you and he says, man, you might be lost, but I love you. You're still my child. And he wants to care about you. He wants to put his arm around you. And, you know, sometimes the care is popping a finger back in place, and sometimes the care is just pulling you out of the trunk and just hugging you and holding you. But he wants to care for you the way you need to be cared for. And the last thing is he wants the lost to be found, He wants those who are found to be cared for, and he wants those who are cared for to be trained. Jesus is training her. He's training her. He's teaching her what it really takes, 
What it really takes is Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is what really matters. Have you accepted what he did on the cross? Have you accepted it? Do you know him? Do you know what he's going to tell people on the final day? He's going to tell people something. He's not going to say, you're a sinner, get out of here. He's going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. Do you know him? Have you come to him through the blood of Christ? Have you put yourself in a position where you're being cared for? And are you allowing him to train you for what he has for you? God wants to train you. There's two ways he wants to train you. Number one, he wants to train you in the way you think about God. God is not an angry, upset God waiting to punish you at every moment. Some of you, you have that concept of God, that God is sitting up there saying, that's not good enough. You better get it right. Robert said he will. And even if you don't, he loves you. He wants to train the way you think about God. And then he wants to train you for whatever your purpose is. See, you have a purpose in God. God wants something from you. If he could take a kid that was from Miami, that was hooked on drugs, and that was an atheist, and that really hated people, who didn't want to be around people, whose great idea of a night was to be alone. If I could be alone with a bunch of drugs and some music, I was happy. And if you could take that same stupid kid and send him to South Carolina and start a church, what could he do with you? Because some of you are so much better than I am. God has great things inside of you. God has built you in a way that is amazing. And if you would yield to him, he would take those skills and he would do great things with them. He wants to train you. First train you how you think about God and then train you for your calling. You have a calling. My friend David has some serious OCD. I don't have OCD. I have whatever the opposite of OCD is. Like, I don't care. IDK, maybe that's the opposite. IDK, don't care. But God uses people like that because he took that closet where with Dream Team stores all this stuff. And I know at the end of service that, that there's going to be some Dream Teamers that stay here when everybody leaves. And they're going to serve God by picking up the chairs and putting that stuff away. And David's OCD is going to be used because he's going to put it right so it makes sense. Chris's IDK, just put it in there as long as the door closes, it works. But we need that. We need you. Hi, that's my son Jeremy. He's waving at me. We need him. We need a church. We need people with those kids. There's some of you guys up there that don't realize that our kids' church is growing, and some of you are great with kids. Some of you have a gift with kids, and you might, God might call you to go up there, and your calling might be for right now to go up there and to play with kids and to love on kids and to bring them close to Christ. You know, they need to know Jesus, and we need the right people up there. So God wants the lost found. God wants the found to be cared for. God wants you to be cared for, and you can't be cared for outside of relationship. You need people in your life. That's why we do small groups. You can't do it alone. Some of you think you can, but you can't. And you need relationship. See, and, and if, if you're having a problem with that cared for part, it's kind of like me. When I got saved, I knew I got up off the floor in my house. I wasn't at church. I knew I had to do two things, go to church and tell people about Jesus. But when I thought about church and going to be cared for, you know what I thought of? 
It was like going to the dentist. If you're a dentist or you work for a dentist, God bless you. But going to the dentist was kind of like something you did, but you weren't looking forward to it. You went because you had to, because they hit you with shots, and then they look in your mouth, and you go there for one thing, and they tell you there's five other things wrong with you. You're like, it hurts on this side, and there's like, well, you have 12 cavities, let's fill them all. And I'm like, no, just do that one. That's what I came here for. Some of you are like that. You came here with one thing, and you feel like you go to church, and they tell you there's all of these things wrong with you, and you're like, I don't want to go there. And there might be stuff wrong with you, but God loves you, and he wants you to be cared for. And then he wants you to be trained for your purpose because there are people that are in Lexington right now and in Red Bank and in Richland County. There's people that are going to be there next, sa- next Sunday at that apartment complex we're going to go and support. There's going to be people that need you, that need you to be who God has called you to be. And that brings us to the, to the next scripture, and let, let's go through that. It says, the woman... So, so what happens in the story is that she finds Jesus, she believes, the disciples show up, and immediately, it says, the woman took the hint and left. She wasn't dumb. This lady was really smart. And in her confusion, she left her water pot, and she went back to her village, and she told the people, come and see a man who knew about everything I've done, who knows me inside and out. Do you think he could be the Messiah? And they went to see for themselves. This woman, in probably less than an hour, went from being lost to being cared for by Christ to being trained in her thinking to understand that it was all about Jesus to all of a sudden going out and being mobilized. And that's the next point. He wants you to be trained and mobilized. He wants the trained people mobilized. See, some of you are waiting for some giant flag or some giant warning or for, for something to happen before you get involved. I don't, that's not my personality, number one. I'm jump first, ask questions later, look for the parachute on the way down. That's me. Some of you are like, everything has to be lined up and I have to know exactly. But if, you're, if you, if you want to know what Jesus says, Jesus says now's the time. Jesus says now's the time to get involved. If you are trained if you know anything about Jesus, do you realize the time is short? Do you realize the world is crazy? I mean, I'm not trying to get super political, but I watched some crazy TED Talk where they were talking about pedophilia. That was kind of a good thing. What? I mean, I thought one of the things we could agree on across the planet is pedophilia is a pretty bad thing. Like, can we not agree on that, that, you know, anti-pedophilia? Anti-touching little kids. That, at least that'll be the stance in Lakeside Church, in case you're wondering. If you're wondering where we stand on pedophiles, we are against pedophilia. Now, if you are in here, if you are in here and you battle with some of that stuff, you need to get free. And you need to find somebody that you can trust well enough that you could talk to about that. Because there might be somebody in here that battles with a thought like that. And I'm not saying that it can't happen. Let's just be honest. But the thing is, is that we can't at all say that that's like a good idea. And we cannot make it so, um, so that they can't find prayer. And I'm going to say we are anti-pedophilia. But if you have anything like that, then you better find somebody you can open up to that you can trust. And you can say, hey, I, and I, I need help. Pray for me because my mind's not right. And do you know that Jesus Christ can set you free? That whatever you have, he cares for you enough to set you free from the worst to, to, to the, what you, we might think is kind of normal stuff. 
Some of you guys, you're battling with all kinds of stuff. And you need to be able to find freedom in that. And God wants to train, mobilize. And then this is how Jesus ends this story right now. And we're going to be wrapping up. The disciples come back. And the Samaritans of the village, they come and they committed themselves because of the woman's witness. And they went out there and Jesus stays for two days. And a lot more in people entrusted their lives to him. And when, when they heard what he had to say, and they said to the woman, we're no longer taking you on your say-so, but we've heard it for ourselves. He's the savior of the world. Think about that story. One woman who was probably the worst woman in town, she had the worst reputation. One hour with Jesus, and she turns into the person that the whole city gets saved by. You might be that person. You in this room might today, you might be that person who's lost and God wants to take you right through that process, get you cared for, get you trained, and get you out there to reach this city. In fact, I think all of you are that person. The last scripture that's on there, it says, Jesus said, the disciples come back and Jesus talks to them. Jesus says this, the food that keeps me going is to do the will of the one who sent me. Finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't, would, you wouldn't say that it's four months until the harvest. I'm telling you, open your eyes and take a look at what's going on in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe, and it's harvest time. You know what I think is funny? And if, I step, if you're a Christian and I step on your toes, I'm sorry. But I've met a lot of people that have left the church because they're not getting fed. And if you're not getting fed... Maybe you're looking for the wrong kind of food. Jesus says, you know what keeps me going? It's doing the will of the one who sent me. If you're not getting fed, it might be because you're not doing the will of God. And you could be sitting in a church, and guess what? That's not God's will. Jesus did not call die on the cross for you to sit your butt in that chair. And if all you do is for 52 weeks a year, put your butt in that chair, I don't care how good your butt is, you are not fulfilling the call of God and you will feel empty and you will feel weak. But if you find a church family and you get plugged in and you get involved in your purpose, you will get fed. Jesus was fed. Notice, and I'm just saying, just think about it. Go to the scriptures. Notice Jesus didn't go and open up the scroll of the Old Testament to get filled, to get fed. Notice he didn't do that. Notice that he didn't say, hey, Peter, get on the lyre. Give me a nice sweet tune. I need to get fed. Notice he said, doing the will of the one who sent me, who sent me to reach this world, to reach this harvest, that's what feeds me. And there is nothing more excited, exciting than being right where God wants you to be and doing right what God wants you to do. Now, all that other stuff, I'm not anti-Bible reading, all right? Anti-pedophilia, pro-Bible. I'm not anti-worship, I love worship. In fact, I love worship so much that I don't just worship God at church. I've been known, as embarrassing as it sounds, to have my headphones in running back before I hit my back. And there'll be a song will come on, and I'll raise my hands. And I've even fallen on my knees on the side of the road because God is that good. Because I love worship. But that's not what it's about. 
It's about reaching the people. The harvest is now, and God is calling some of you to get involved. So the last point is, what are your next steps? What are your next steps? In fact, maybe you should think about it this way. What are my next steps? You're somewhere in that process. If you're lost, do you know today that you can be found, that you can find Jesus Christ, and that you don't have to be lost anymore? If you're not being cared for, if you need some care, do you know that you can be cared for in this church, that there, there are people that you can connect with that will talk with you and pray with you and, and point to you through the scriptures? Some of you need to be cared for. Maybe you need to be trained. But maybe you just need to be mobilized. But I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. And would you, would you humor me for a second? You know, I think God is big enough to speak to each of you. The worship team is going to come and they're going to play a song. But I dare you right now to ask God, say, God, what are my next steps? What do you have for me? Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>